Welcome to the College Church Sabbath School Podcast, where each week Pastor Anar Ram and Elder Roger Prather will be diving into the weekly lesson from the Seventh-day Adventist Church. The congregation at the College Church has made it their motto to love, grow, and serve. We really want to learn to love more, grow more, and serve more. It is our hope that through these conversations, we can learn to better serve our congregation, our local community, and the world. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope you are blessed with today's conversation. Welcome to the Sabbath School podcast of the College Church. I'm here in the conference room in South Lancaster, Massachusetts. Thank you for joining us. And with me on my right is... Tom Bloom. <laughs> See, we switched seats. So so now Tom is on the right, and on the left is... Roger Prather. So we're really mixing up things here. We're mixing up the fruit bowl. <laughs> so we are delighted you could uh, chose to be with us here. We're allowed to be with you. We're looking at lesson number eight, and we are following the Adventist study Bible study guide. And Roger, where can we find that? www.absg.adventist.org, Alpha Bravo Sahara Golf.adventist.org, link in the description below. There we go, because you may want to read along, and and uh, but maybe I should say don't read along, because then you realize how far we stray from the lesson. <laughs> you say, what, what about Tuesday's lesson? <laughs> just sit back talk? and relax. Yeah, yeah. just sit back. enjoy. <laughs> yeah, but if people wanted the straight line. On everything, they have sources for that. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. So hopefully we give them the straight gospel, right? The Amen. straight truth. There we go. There we go. So with that, I invite us to uh, pray together. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you for technology. We thank you for this podcast and for Megan doing the work behind the scenes and uh, editing this and getting it uploaded to the different platforms. We pray that lives will be touched through this, and including those three, three of us around this table here. We pray, Lord, that the book of Ephesians won't just be one of 66 books in the Bible, but it will really be a, a blueprint, a guidebook on living the Christian faith. We thank you for the book of Ephesians, particularly Ephesians chapter 4. Be with us as we dive into the depths of its meanings. In the saving name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. 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 So as I mentioned, we are looking at Ephesians chapter 4, and on Sunday's lesson, they, the author wants us to compare it with Colossians chapter 3, 1 through 17. Now, we're on a little bit of a timeline here, but when I compared the two, um, and I could be wrong, but essentially... Paul is giving the same guidance to Ephesus as he does to the church at Coloss. And the thought occurred to me that, you know, no matter where you are, my friends, the issues are, the issues are usually the same. Who's in, who's out, who has power, who has control, uh, who has money, who doesn't, and, and, and how we're going to relate to each other. How we're going to relate to each other. And Paul, in his heart, uh, knows how important it is for the church to be a place that is different, is different. 
And I'm thinking about, I know here we have a, uh, Ralph Gifford has a Cheers Sabbath School class, which comes off of the the, the uh, sitcom Cheers. And, of course, the theme song includes the words where everybody knows your name. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we have probably all are guilty of spending at least one hour of our lives uh, watching that show. And, you know, it seems as if there's a community between, I don't know, eight people on the show. And no matter where they are uh, on the social strata, the career strata, they relate to each other. They're there at the bar. And I think that's a lesson for the church. (laughs) Careful now. Yeah, that's a lesson. (laughs) Not the bar part. (laughs) But the fact that the mailman, I forgot his name, Cliff, um, rubs shoulders with Frazier, the Harvard-educated um, uh, psychologist, and you have other, you know, this strata of yeah, people, and, and they're all the same, and they're all equal because yep. they're there for a particular purpose. Yep. And okay, so let's take the drinking part out of it and change it over to the church part. Yep. If you take that same scenario, right? Yep. And there you go. There's your jump-off point. There we go. Right. That's it. So I'm going to read. Um, verse 17 through 19, and our last podcast, we looked at uh, verses 1 through 16, and in the book of Ephesians, and so Paul writes them, remember, this is a letter written by a man who came face to face with Jesus Christ, the gospel, and, and he is, spends the rest of his life living it out living it out, traveled 10,000 miles. He's got to tell everybody. And so on that note, he says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. I'm going to read verse 20 a little bit longer here. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. We're going to pause there for a minute here. So Paul is looking pretty theological here. And in a little bit here, he's going to get down to the nuts and bolts about where well, the rubber meets the road. Um, what's what thoughts come to your guys' minds as we read those verses? Well, in relationship to like the last podcast we did when we talked about unity, mm-hmm. this one I think is a, is kind of like a little addition that Paul adds to it because, and this popped into my head while I was sitting there. When you come into the church, okay. And you're made new, and you're supposed to think new thoughts and new processes and all the rest of that sort of stuff. And you're supposed to 
and Paul was talking to the Jews and the Gentiles. Okay, new person comes through, new convert, and what are you supposed to do? Okay, they have affirmed their belief in Jesus Christ, you accept them. Okay, what do we do in today's world? Well, you know, if you're out on the street, what are you conditioned to do? Mm. Well, everyone's got an angle. Why are you actually saying that? What's going on? You know, what are they really after? You know, what's the underlying current? Yeah. Could that also translate into the church when you when you first come through the door? Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, and what what is Paul trying to tell us here? He goes he goes, "No, when you come through the church, when you come through the door as a new convert, you got to put that old way of thinking aside and look at your brothers and sisters in the church in a new light, yeah. in a new way of thinking. You're not looking for the angle. You're not looking for the, you know, all those things that you would look for in the secular world. You're supposed mm-hmm. to be looking at them through the lens about how Jesus Christ would look at them at the same time, in a forgiving, in a patient, in a loving light. Yep. It's interesting because um, at the risk of sounding grim, every person who read this letter is now dead. They're dead. Yeah. And, and you know, the good book reminds us about our three score and 10 years and 80 if you're fortunate, it says, and, and, you know, and I was just listening to a sermon about this, how you think about the future determines how you live in the present. And this is what Paul's trying to get to, is, okay, the Gentiles, they have their futility of thinking. This right. is it. Right. This is it. And, or you got to, you know, elbow your way to the top, you know, push your way to the front of the line. He who dies with the most toys wins. There you go. There you go. <laughs> and and Paul's saying, this is wrong, and we better not have anything to do with that. We better not have anything to do with it, because we see the end differently than other people do. I have a uh, particular view of these verses because of my academic background. I, I knew, I had a feeling Roger's going to say something here. Um, well, most, And I'm glad, I'm hoping you would. For anybody who doesn't know, like my, I'm a political scientist, amongst other things. But my prior academic background, I got into political science because I studied in seminary, I studied Christian apologetics. And in the Adventist church, when we think about apologetics, we tend to think very narrowly and we talk about like, well, proving that um, Genesis 1, 2, and 3 are literally true. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where we stop. Or defending the ministry of Ellen White. And that's where we stop. But as an academic field, as a theological field, apologetics is a defense of the Christian worldview. Mm-hmm. And the key word there is worldview. And yep. what Paul's talking about here is worldview. He's saying... When you're outside the church, when so his word that word he's using Gentile, he's talking about non-believers. He's right. he's not talking uh, about you know particular races of people. He's talking about a a cultural perspective on the meaning of life and how the universe is put together. And when you come into the church, when you are a converted Christian, when you go through that process of conversion, what that is is a shift in your worldview. And worldview mm-hmm. is literally what it means. I mean, there are components to it, yep. but it's how you view the world. Yep. Not just this world, but the Greek word cosmos, which is the universe. Yep. And what Paul's saying is, you, you, you are when he's talking about being transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
your mind is transformed because you come to see these aspects of the universe that you can't see when you adopt a non-Christian worldview. And my translation uses some different words, like um, it's, it talks about promiscuity. Mm-hmm. And so again, yep. we go back to the cultural, the cultural context of Ephesians, the historical context of Ephesians. So it was, you were able to adulterate yourself with multiple gods with multiple divinities, with multiple sources of pleasure and knowledge. And what Paul is saying is you, you, you chase all these different, you know, like, like we've said before uh, in earlier episodes, you know, you could be a member of multiple different cults and you're always chasing after like some deeper knowledge or something new or something novel. And what Paul is saying is it's effectively spiritual adultery it's promiscuity mm-hmm. you're you're giving your mind over to all of these other nefarious entities and you have to st- once you once you go through the process of conversion you stop doing that and you adopt a christ-centered view mm. of the cosmos and so go back to our last uh podcast episode where we we're talking about church unity and accepting people into the church and things like that and a couple episodes ago, I, you know, I, I asked a question. I said, where do you start drawing the line? Mm-hmm. You have to draw the line somewhere. And I would say the line is drawn is, have you adopted a Christ-centered worldview? That's really what Christianity... Christianity is yeah. mm-hmm. not a religion. Yeah. Right. And, and I want to add to that. It's interesting, in the early church, the, the, it wasn't like people were gatekeepers to say, well, do you see this? It was more like people said on their own, I see this, and I want to be a part of it. It wasn't like, do you meet, can we check off the, 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 you know, the 10 boxes here? But they said, hey, guess what? I really believe Jesus is the Messiah. I really believe he died for my sins. And so, therefore, I would like to be a part of this group. You see, the onus gets shifted from the establishment to the person who says, I would like to be a part of this. Well, it's I mean, almost self-regulating, but at any rate. It went right into the face of the, some of the existing religions, too. I mean, specifically kind of like Judaism. Okay, well, you're not a Jew. You weren't born in a per- right. per- part of the world. Yeah. You haven't been circumcised. You, yep. you, you know, oh, yep. you eat certain meats. Oh, that's horrible, you know. And yep. it just the list went on and on and on and on. Yep. And then it was like, nope, let's wipe all that stuff away. Yep. And let's start with the true thing that we need to worry about here yeah well it wasn't it's not just that so you know paul it it maybe if this is a too much of a digression let me know but paul in multiple parts of his letters quotes pagan poets and philosophers right so like in his uh speech to the areopagus um he he quotes i believe he quotes uh lucretius interesting jesus when he confronts paul i think i've mentioned this before when he confronts paul quotes pagan philosophy thou kickest against the pricks oh yeah he's quoting that's that's a that's a direct quote from a greek author Mm. and so what what the people in ephesus and what paul's sort of getting at my understanding of the the history of it is that these things that you've been you've been so you you've gone all over these these different you know mystery cults and uh different religious experiences that and when he talks about things like promiscuity and sexual immorality, you got to remember like a lot of these mystery cults and a lot of these temple rituals involved 
debaucherous sexual activity. And so he's not just talking about, you know, I don't want to get too graphic, but you know, he's not talking about what you're doing in your bedroom necessarily. He's talking about what you're doing publicly as part of these different, um, these different uh, religious rituals. So what Paul's sort of driving at is you, you can draw from all these other things and say the thing that you're seeking, right? You're never going to find there. Mm. The thing that you're seeking, you're only going to find in one place. And that's why yeah. Paul could quote from people like Lucretius. And that's why uh, particularly people who followed uh, the philosophy of Plato, um, eventually a lot of them found their way into the church. And that's why as you move into the medieval ages, um, from like the second century on, you have a lot of people like Justin Martyr, one of the first Christian apologists, um, started out as a, a, a philosopher, and he said, this thing that I've been seeking through philosophy, I yeah. found in Christianity. And it's, the wow. again, that, that wow. worldview, this perspective on how the universe is put together, yep. I understand it completely now because I see how Christ binds it all together so and they might not even use you said messiah right that the jews come and say well that you know that the non-jews came and say um jesus is the messiah well a greek might not say that they they would come and say jesus is the logos right Mm, and logos was the divine reason that brings order to the universe and they would see that christ is that being that entity and so that's kind of where paul again i want people to adopt that terminology i teach it when i teach in the high school worldview it's i'm not trying to pass on a religion a religion is you know make the sign of the cross and bow at this time and Mm -hmm. read this particular poem and this particular day and celebrate that's religion i'm not trying to pass on religion i'm trying to pass on worldview i want you to see the universe in a particular Mm. way and that's i think what paul's getting at i didn't mean to overtake the whole conversation that's that's that actually really leads us perfectly into verse uh 25 through uh, 28 and uh, Roger could you read that for us or Tom Uh, Roger sure since you put away lying speak the truth each one to his neighbor because we are members of one another be angry and do not sin don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Mm. So, actually, would you mind going to to verse 32? Because it all, it seems like a thought pattern he has going here. No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need in order to give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, insult, and slander must be removed from you along with all wickedness and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Wow. So going back to what you were sharing earlier, Roger, about how this actually plays out in our lives. And it's interesting, first of all, speak truthfully because we're all members of one body. Um, you know, the body is an interesting organiza- organism. If you're, if you're building something, the hammer hits your thumb, the thumb doesn't say, oh, I'm hurting, but I'm not going to tell the brain. 
it communicates in, in milliseconds, you've just hit your thumb. And, and it's interesting that Paul says we must speak truthfully to one another. Um, that, that's, that's a scary thing, Roger, Tom. Yeah, but if, but if you go down to verse 32, okay, so I know, like, I can lead in and I'm sitting here thinking about, you know, well, I'm going to keep it 100, you know, and I'm going to live my truth and all mm-hmm, these catchphrases mm-hmm. that we hear out there in the world and all the rest mm-hmm. of that sort of stuff. And I don't care if you're offended, I am speaking my <laughs> truth, you know, blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, let's, let's move on to verse 32 here for yep. just a tiny little bit and say, okay, so when you're keeping it 100, mm-hmm. do it with a tenderhearted, forgiving attitude at the same time. Exactly. Okay, and that's the part that I think yeah. that, one of the parts that I think our world has kind of forgotten a little bit yep. in our worldview is, yes, we want to speak truth to one another, but we want to do it in a loving situation. That is key. We want, to, we want the person who's telling us to love us, and we who are listening also hopefully love the person who's telling us. And it's a, it's a symbiotic situation there, which is in a way just a miracle in of itself. And but Paul's talking to the church. Correct. And so he's telling Christian believers that they have to be compassionate to one another. Yep. So people are coming into the church that we have to be compassionate to them. And I think, again, I want to go back to that, that word worldview. People come into the church, they don't completely like overnight change. No. It takes right? a while. It right. takes a while. We go back to chapter, the beginning of the chapter where we talked about you grow into an, an adult, you know, the man matures. We're all maturing. The church is maturing together. There are people who still hold on to remnants of those prior worldviews. And I do want to touch on one thing that I think is important. Again, I don't mean to like overtake here, but there's a, mm-hmm. there's a lot here. There is a lot. And you talk about truth. We got to tell the truth. Well, let me use uh, Pontius Pilate's question. What is truth? Mm-hmm. Right, and so I'm going to give people some homework to do, if you're so inclined. I want you to do a little research and study the philosophy of pragmatism. Mm. The philosophy of pragmatism. It started in the late 19th century with men like uh, uh, William James and John Dewey and mm. Charles Pierce. And you know, we talk about like materialism. We talk about uh, evolution and Darwinism and all these different things. But I'm going to give you my my hypothesis as a as a person with a little bit of a philosophy background. The dominant worldview perspective in our society today is pragmatism. Mm-hmm. Something is true if it brings about the desired end. Yeah. So. You can talk, like Paul makes reference to things like stealing. Well, I'm hungry and I'm poor. If stealing fills my belly and makes me wealthy, then stealing is a true path to what I desire. It brought mm-hmm. about it brought about my intended goal. Yeah. Right? You rationalized your worldview. Right? right, and so when you talk about, like, I'm going to speak my truth, you know, like that, that, whole, that whole relativistic thing, right? Something is true, right, if it brings about the desired end. That's how our culture, by and large, judges the truth content of any particular proposition or idea. Mm-hmm. What the Christian Bible teaches, 
what Christ teaches is that truth is ultimately fulfilled in the mission of God. Mm-hmm. And that mission is culminated and completely, uh, I guess, revealed is the right word, in the person and mission of Christ. So truth is objective. Does it cohere with Christ's mission and God's purposes? Or does it do something else, right? So you you have to, you're, that, that shift in worldview um, involves that idea of, it's, it, it means abandoning things like pragmatism or right. relativism where it's like, like we live in this culture where it can say, well, that's true for you, but not for me. Um, that's nonsense. That's complete and utter nonsense. And we all know that on a very instinctual level. Well, and, and see that, and you're right. Because if I jump off the side of the building and proclaim that gravity doesn't work for me, like it doesn't work in my life, I don't agree with it. Sure. I'm still going to hit the ground. Yeah, knock mm-hmm. yourself out. Right. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> I mean, but that's, but, that, but that's the world we live in. And we, but we import that into the church. And I'm gonna get, I want to get a little, a little bit contentious here. So when we talk about a big tent congregation, right, we can accept anybody in. But we can accept anybody in and we can allow them the, the, I don't know what the right word is. We can, we can be understanding. And I think that's what Paul's getting when he says, forgive each other, be compassionate, because you also held those same views at one point. Right. So when somebody comes into the church and says, look, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe the message. I believe the Bible. But they still have these remnants of their old worldview. Don't immediately right. go and be like, right. Hey, again, that goes back to our last conversation from the last episode where it's like, you know, the pastor, somebody comes up to the pastor after a sermon and says, you, you got a lot wrong there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, may, maybe the pastor got something wrong or maybe that person is still applying his old worldview to what he's encountering in the church. Or maybe mm-hmm. the pastor's still applying Right, because and I think that's where a lot of the contentiousness in our congregations and our denomination comes from. We're 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 importing all these other worldviews, and we're saying these are just as valid. But the Bible's a particular worldview. The Bible's a particular way of observing the universe. And over time, we have to help each other grow into a more complete it's, worldview. It's interesting that you say that because if somebody if somebody came up and said, "Pastor, I found three things wrong with your sermon." I would probably say, well, I found six things wrong with it. So, <laughs> you know, because we know there's the ideal and then there's the reality. And I just want to mention that, you know, that just popped in my head, Roger, because it's, it's, it, it, you know, no sermon is perfect. And so maybe that person actually has something to offer me. Let's say it was Dwight Nelson, let's say sitting in the congregation Say, you know, a good sermon, but you should have done this, that, and the other thing. Do I have the humility to say, hey, that's a good point? You know what I'm saying? That that's important on my part. And and but it can be somebody who's just being a show it off, uh, show off, know it all, and they think, well, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Here's three things, ten things, twenty things he did wrong, and I'm going to set him straight. So and that's done in the wrong spirit. It goes back to the spirit. Yeah. So how long do we accept aberrant worldviews? To go back to your point, Roger, how long do we accept that aberrant worldview inside of an organized religion? This is a battle that never ends, though. Again, this is what we were kind of talking about off air during our break. Um, 
we, you allow, Jesus says, you allow the wheat to grow up with the weeds. Yeah. Our job is not to harvest, our job is to yeah. plant. Um, we're never going to get rid of those aberrant world. I, they're not aberrant. I wouldn't say aberrant. We're gonna. We're never going to get rid of all those other worldviews. They're always going to. Well, I'm talking about inside present. the church. Okay, so if if Paul's if Paul's mm-hmm. preaching this, okay, we have this one Christian worldview, one God, one faith. You know the whole thing, and then you say, oh, okay. So then I go to my umbrella idea of Adventism. Mm-hmm. So what you're going to get then is you're forever going to have. And what I mean by aberrant is these people coming in who, you know, just hold like these viewpoints. Like I heard one uh, uh, when I was young that, you know, Jesus appeared to the Native Americans, Hmm. you know, and that's a viewpoint that we don't necessarily hold as canon inside the Seventh-day Adventist church. But somebody could come in and say, oh, yeah, yeah, this this sounds right. The Book of Mormon is a legitimate source of knowledge. Right, right, you know, or something like that. And, And we say... Okay, well, you're coming through the door, and we'll, we're okay with that for now. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's a hard, fast so, rule to answer that question, right? Because right. here's the thing. It's not just people coming in from the outside. It's people who are in the church going outside the church and importing these so, into the church, too. I, to some degree, I think verse 26 helps us. It almost helps us regulate this. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So when I am faced with people with differing views within, the, let's say, within the church family, I think what's powerful about this is, hey, look, I think Paul is saying everybody has a breaking point. At some point, you pull your hair out, you can lose it, you say you are a wacko. You are you are from Mars. You are some. You are. What are you? What are you smoking? Right. <laughs> and and you know at that point, you say, okay, this is not good. I'm getting too close to the edge, and you have to say, okay, can Lord help me first of all to really understand where this person is coming from, and that's part of the picture. Is is when I think I've got all the answers. The question is, why did God allow that person into my life? Can I learn something from him or from her? And maybe I need to adjust something. And do I feel self-defined enough? And I, am I secure enough in my theology to say, oh, that's interesting. Thank you for sharing. And may God bless you and all of us. And sort of, you know, leave it at that. Well, I mean, and I agree with you. And I believe that that's where we need to get to, but I think where we find ourselves a lot of the time is this, we've turned everything, and I do mean yeah. everything, into what I call salvation issues. Yeah. Everything is a salvation yeah. issue. If you're not believing exactly what I think that you should be believing, it's in a salvation issue, and I need to correct you, brother, on this particular point, because I believe your immortal soul is in danger because it's a salvation issue. Yep. I, I have to convince you that Jesus didn't appear to the Native Americans because you're not going to go to heaven if you go, if you <laughs> if you keep on believing this nonsense. Listen, I know two people, and and uh, forgive me for for those who are in this group, but I know two people, uh, and one I have in contact with a couple times a year who really believe the world is flat. Right. You know, and and I cannot I cannot comprehend that. 
I just don't even know where to begin. It's just like, how, what, what? Wait a minute. And, and it just, and they probably say, well, how can you believe that it is round? And, and, but, you know, I have been able to look beyond that, you know, and say this, this, yeah, this guy's got this weird view about the world being flat and, and, but that's not, I need, this person loves the Lord and Jesus Christ died for him. And our lives have intersected and, and overall I'd say it's been, my connection with him has been a blessing. And, and the other person I lost kind of sort of lost contact with over the years, but um, you know what I'm saying with this is to say, okay, Lord, uh, you know this is a tough one. Give me grace. Well, let me come. Let me come back to that position on worldview, right? Now, this is going to sound really wor- weird, but those people that you're talking about with the flat Earth perspective probably don't have a probably don't have a worldview that's very different from yours mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. there th- so this one particular like body of knowledge or belief might be different but their overall approach to uh the nature of the cosmos uh the meaning of truth and knowledge and how we should apply that truth and knowledge practically in our lives ethically and morally are probably just fine Mm-hmm. Right. So just because they have this one sort of like diversion where they say like, well, yeah, the earth is round like that, that, that ancient Near Eastern cosmology of, you know, tiered oceans and all these sorts of things is true. And we live in this giant like snow globe, you know, which is basically what the flat earthers believe, at least the biblical flat earthers. Okay. Um, I need to, cause I have person, I have personal friends who are flat earth okay, believers too. Okay. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, it's 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 actually it's becoming increasingly common in the last few years because yeah. of eschatological um, speculation and things things like that. Mm. But um, again, worldview content versus like individual beliefs. Again, it comes back to what you say. Where do you draw the line, right? So there are three three major components to any philosophy. You have metaphysics, you have epistemology, and you have. Um, Ethics, right? So metaphysics is what's the basic nature of the cosmos? What's the ultimate? What's the ultimate meaning of being? Right? Mm-hmm. What grounds it all? Uh, epistemology is how do we know what we know, and how can we know that we know it? You know, it's just questions of knowledge and truth. And then ethics and morals is okay. Once we know what's true, how do you apply, how do we apply it? Mm-hmm. And so we can have like diversions within that, right? There's a long tradition. Of, of Christians arguing uh, over, you know, you, you quoted Augustine in the last, mm-hmm. um, yep. uh, man, Augustine, Augustine wouldn't like us very much because we're semi-Pelagian and Augustine was an, a vicious anti-Pelagian. Mm. Um, and so there's this long history of Christians saying like, oh, we have to draw the line here and we have to draw the line there. And, and I mean, look, if I had a dollar for every time I listened to a sermon and they quoted an author or a theologian or a scholar that I disagreed with, um, but, I'd be, yeah. I'd have a lot of money in my savings account because that's just the way it is. Like you're yeah. going to look at a guy and you're going to take a different approach to that particular author than I might, you might do the same thing. And you, you have, you make a good point. We turn everything into a salvation issue. Mm-hmm. I can't believe you quoted. I can't believe you preached or taught and you, you, you favorably mentioned author X. Right. How right. scandalous. How scandalous. And it's like, 
Yeah, no, just let it go, and that that's where you come. Like, let it go. Let it go. Yep. And don't don't be angry about it. Like, who knows? Who knows what's in your heart? At the right. end of the day, we have to sort of like, we have to rally around the common points, but we have to be very clear about what those common points are. Yes, very clear. Yeah. And we have a trouble. We have a problem doing that in the yes, Seventh Day Adventist Church. We, I think we have forgotten the the kiss principle. Okay, we really, really have. And I think this is where Paul keeps trying to reel us back because you get the same thing. And and when I read a lot more and more of his books, you get the same thing. Paul keeps trying to reel people back. No, 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 people, it's simple. It's simple. It's so, simple. So there's interesting here, in verse. this leads into verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. Remember, he's writing a letter to the right. church. Which means that there was unwholesome talk. There, exactly. There's a problem here. It says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. It's interesting. My wife and I are slowly going through. My son recommended Band of Brothers, which is a group of guys who fight at Normandy. Good show. Yeah, good. And, and, and um, so... It's not it's not Winters, but one of the one of the characters. But there's a guy there who imitates one of the higher ups. I don't remember the scene, and he mimics him behind his back. You know, it's funny. And so one one of the other guys who I think is outranks him, and I wish I remember all the names. They're walking together, and he says, "Hey, I got to tell you two things." And he says, "Number one, um, hey, that's a really funny imita- imitation of that of him." Uh, but secondly. He says, don't do it again. And he says, why not? And he says, it's not beneficial. Right. It's not beneficial. And, and uh, I mean, that's, that's one of those interesting talks. Well, it's interesting that we talk about military-esque. I mean, I remember growing up in the Seventh-day Adventist Church in the 1970s where, you know, for lack of a better word, militarism was mm. a touchstone on how we used to run the church. You know, yeah. group morale, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yeah. It's not beneficial to group morale. And right. you know what? We could still draw some benefit from some of that stuff. Yeah. You know, and that's that's kind of what Paul's saying. He goes, yep. this isn't good for the group. L- leave it alone. Leave it alone. Right. Right. Yes. <laughs> but here's part of that too, right? So any large institution is going to have uh, subcultures and subgroups within it. Sure. Right? And we have a fairly, by, by relative standards, we have a fairly large congregation here. So within our congregation, you have multiple groups of, and I don't want to call them cliques because I don't think they're really cliques. It's, you, you, you know, I'll just, I'll use terms that everybody can understand. You have groups of moderates, you have groups of conservatives, you have gr- yeah. a group of liberals. Right. And the problem is, is that particularly the liberals and the conservatives and the moderates are just like, hey, the moderates are like Paul. They're kind of like, everybody just needs to calm Settle the heck down. down. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but everybody else is accusing everybody else of, right. and that's a lot of times that's the type of situation that Paul's letters are dealing with in right. first and second Corinthians. In Ephesians, it's the temptation to pull in all these other diverse worldview perspectives from the other. Uh, you know, again, if Ephesus is a very multicultural cosmopolitan city, in other places, it's like they're they're bringing in these Gnostic ideas and they're going like, 
well, the knowledge about Jesus is really secret. Right. right. Mm-hmm. And Paul's just got to like, you guys got to calm, calm down, guys. Like, stop, stop trying to borrow from, you know, the 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 Olympiad, the Olympian gods, and bring it in here. You know, like just everybody needs to calm down. It's very simple. Here's here's the basics, and we need to, I think, focus on doing that. You know yep. what I mean? Like, you can have, you can have people with different perspectives. And at the end of the day, like we've said it over and over again, is Jesus, it, does God exist? Does the God of the Bible exist? Is Jesus his son? Did he raise Jesus from the dead? Yep. And by that action, does he, is he able to forgive your sins? If you can affirm those four things, we're good, man. So, I don't care about all the other details. You can quote whoever you want in your it, sermons, Pastor. It, 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 <laughs> <laughs> um because that leads into verse 30. And I just this just struck me. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. So I'm going to pause there for a moment. Evidently, it's possible for us to grieve the Holy Spirit. Right? It is possible. That's the plain meaning of Paul's words there. Yeah, yeah. that's the plain meaning. If I am talking badly about somebody, I am grieving the Holy Spirit, apparently. Now, here's where the punchline comes in with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I mean, when I read this, guys, it's as if Paul's saying, okay, you're all sealed. You've, you've accepted Christ. He's, he's talking to the Ephesians. He says, you're sealed. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't waste your time on unwholesome talk. But don't. I got to make sure you don't backslide, Pastor. And well, there we go. <laughs> but ho- maybe, and that's the thing, is, is we, yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. Because you may think, well, if you don't accept this one little aspect, this, do- this, this doctrine, that you are in peril. But, and, and, and part of the pictures here, I think, is really saying, have a conversation. And, it's interesting that these words are so timely because, you know, in verse 26, he tells us not to let anger fester, but there's so much anger in today's world, mm-hmm. so much anger. Don't let it fester. And, and you know, all these platforms, Twitter and Thread, all these things are great at communicating but talking at people. Right, right. But not talking with people. When I want to have a real conversation with somebody, a real conversation, yep. I sit down face to face across. Well, from of them. course, okay? yeah. I don't use the vehicle of text or Facebook or choose insert your social media platform. Even, here. even Zoom right. is okay. it falls short. All of them, exactly. They all fall short. You want to have a real conversation and have a real understanding about how some how somebody feels about a particular issue. You have to sit down and talk to them face to face. Yep. And, and uh, so, that, so Paul is saying, listen, make sure you're using your time wisely. And he goes so far to, in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander. I mean, obviously these were issues. He's going down the list. Okay, well, Ephesians, Ephesus, uh, there's this, that, other thing. And then with every form of malice, and then he says, it's not just the absence of these things, but the presence of verse 32, be kind, compassionate to one another, 
forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. And it's interesting, you take this in the context of his, and I wouldn't use the word animosity, but his his issues with Peter. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then you, you overlay what he's saying there, right, with how him and Peter went at each other. And you're you're not okay, I don't think that Paul is I don't want us to misunderstand here. I don't think Paul isn't saying, okay, just keep it light, people. Always talk about the weather when you, when you run into each other. You know, I don't think that's what he means. No, no. of course not, because he he talks about pretty heavy stuff throughout the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Right. So so, you know, I don't want to give the wrong idea impression here that we're just saying, okay, you know, hey, how's the weather? You know, oh, New England, it's going to rain soon. You know, but yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> Paul was willing to go to the heavy places. It's just the mechanism and the mm-hmm. viewpoint and the way, if you're arguing with, like, Roger, you and I have talked about this, okay? You can go into um, a classroom and you can have a conversation, and if two people are at least willing to listen, contemplate, all right, and have the open-minded conversation. It doesn't mean that I'm just an empty well for you to fill me up and say, okay, all of your beliefs are now garbage. Here's all the new stuff that you need to, that you need to do. If I have a legitimate back and forth with you and I go, hmm, some of that stuff that you say is interesting and maybe it, it adjusts me a little bit, you know, and you do the, you do the exact same thing. It's not okay, here I come with the finger pointing and, you know, we've got we've to hash it out now. We're not leaving this room until you're right. <laughs> Those conversations can take place when you have a common ground, right? You have to have like a, you, you have to be standing on the same platform. And I think that's what the church is designed to be. It's supposed to be a common platform. The devil wins. Well, the devil and totalitarians and autocrats, they win by division and conquer, right? Mm-hmm. You divide yep. people, you get them to disagree over nonsense, and then you get your you get one person to hate his neighbor over something stupid, and now you have divided them. And you now can conquer them because you've made them, you've made your enemy turn in on itself. And that's, yep. that's the devil's technique for the church. Yep. So, so, and I would, I would, I would say two things. First, I would point to, obviously I'm highly influenced by Western philosophy. Read Platonic dialogues, the dialogues of Plato Socrates appears in most of them. Socrates does exactly that. He starts a conversation. Let's create a common ground, and then they have a discussion. And nine times out of ten, guess what? Plato and Socrates, they leave you hanging. right? We think everything has to be wrapped up nice and neat, right? No, they leave you hanging. We, maybe we don't know. Maybe we don't know. Is the earth flat? Maybe we don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm joking. I'm joking. But there's that, but I just want to point something else out. And this is a critique of, of, our, of our approach in Seventh-day Adventism. We, because of the historical context in which our church arose and the time in the 19th century and some of the social events surrounding that period of time, we were very hesitant to create, like we do this whole like no creed but the Bible. Mm-hmm. Okay, well guess what? Find 10 biblical interpreters and you get 10 different interpretations Mm -hmm. we need to do a better job of establishing like the platform of common ground what are those basic 
commitments that you have to uh, commit to in order to have these conversations, right? I'm not saying that that's going to be an easy process. I don't think that we have to necessarily create a catechism or anything like that. I'm just, we need to be clear about that because we do this really like amorphous, very porous, uh, you know, we have these 28 fundamental beliefs, but you know, you go to seminary and and talk Mm -hmm. to some of the professors there and it's kind of like, yeah, well, secretly, you know, behind the scenes, we don't really (laughs) believe that anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but then the person in the pew you're selling this book to the people in the church and they're relying on that. And so we need to be a little more open about how we dialogue. And I'm not saying that we have to like create some hard, fast rule. But again, I would say, look, Roman Catholics do certain things right. They got a few certain things right. And saying, all right, you're baptized as an infant. And then here's the list of things you have to say, check off. And then you get your first communion. And after that, you're in. And now you're in the club and we can have some of these discussions, right? And look at what they've done. They have like, there's a gajillion different religious orders. And, you know, if you like this, you join the Dominicans. And if you like that, you join the Jesuits or whatever. And I think Mm. that kind of works. I'm not saying we should become Roman Catholics or I idolize them or anything like that. I'm saying that we should come up with some kind of approach like that and be a little more forgiving of the people next to us when they decide to go and do that other thing. It's interesting to put it like that because... Right now, of course, there's so much anger and discussion. You know, let's just say two-word gun rights. That's a loaded term. You know, we forget the big picture or, you know, the LGBT movement, et cetera, fill in the blank. There's so many different things going on. But remember how this country started. We're, we're fleeing, you know, king, right? And the Declaration of Independence we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that are among these life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. That's really the core of why we're here in the United States of America. And, and as Christians, there's a little bit of cross-application to this when we look at the book of Ephesians, that... We are given these, I would say, rights, but blessings of life, liberty, and the pursuit of God's glory. And that's really where I think Paul's trying to get us to here in the book of Ephesians. Um, It's interesting that one of the litmus tests, of course, is that of L-O-V-E. You know, do this out of love. Do it out of love. And not out of fear, not out of anger, but out of love. And when you really sense that, you know, that can help us frame whatever is said to us. Well, it's interesting that the human person, like the majority of us, you can, in very short order, feel if somebody is loving or has your best interest when they approach you. It's not something that you have to dig deep to, to no, find you really out. No, you don't. No. You know, and, and and after, in very short order, you can figure out whether somebody's disingenuous or they're actually, you know. And yeah, I understand that there's a population of the people that are really disingenuous and they're really good at acting and we've all been taken. But I'm <laughs> talking about the vast majority of people who approach you yep. genuinely. Yep. And it's interesting because... The, the, the lesson ends in verse 32 of, 
Ephesians 4. But remember, he's writing a letter. The chapters come centuries later. The next sentence, imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. I mean, that's the marching orders. I mean, the identity is we're children of God. Church at Ephesus, every single one of children, what's a child got to do? They got to grow up. They're not, he doesn't call them adults. You are the dear adults of God. No. And then what does he says? Here's what you do. You imitate God. Imitate God. That's, that's our model. Imitating God. And, and he goes on, live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And, and so there we come. That's probably going to be next week's podcast. But again, what's the, what's our, what's the, I don't say I, but what's the, the model we're following? It's God. It's revealed in Christ Jesus. And if we're honest with ourselves, we all fall short. Whether you believe the world is flat or round, whether you believe in the ordination of women as pastors or you don't, whether you're for the LGBT rights or not for, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's wherever you are on that, we all fall short of imitating God. And, and it's just really... Wow. But the, so, oh, man. <laughs> I love when Roger says, oh, man. <laughs> but God doesn't lie to us. No, he doesn't. And I think our temptation is because we have adopted a world, and I've said this before, we've adopted a worldly perspective on what it means to love people. And so we think love means saying everything's okay. Mm-hmm. God tells us we're not okay. You're not okay. You need me. That's God. That's that's the fundamental message, yep. right? You are a sinner, and you need forgiveness, yep. and you need to reform, and yep. you need to allow my Spirit to work inside you. Yeah. And I think most of our disagreements in the church come down to we're afraid to tell people the truth sometimes. Yeah. Because we don't want to hurt their feelings, and we uh, Tom and I were talking about this when you were out talking to Ed uh, before we started. Uh. There's this, uh, how should I put it? There's, we have a consumerist mentality. That's, I think, the way we said it. We have a consumerist mentality where if we're successful in our job as the church, we're just going to have pews full of people and everybody's mm. going to love us and everybody's going to come in here. And that, the Bible doesn't give us that expectation. If, we mm. tell, if you tell people the truth, some people are going to reject that truth. Mm-hmm. And there are some things that we ought not compromise on. And when, when I talk about, so, and you brought up the Declaration of Independence, that's a fundamentally Protestant document. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it is yeah. informed by Protestant ideas. Yep. And it assumes a baseline of agreement on certain core principles. Yeah. Those aren't the core principles. Those are derivative of the core principles. And again, I would go back to what we need to do a better job of doing in the church is coming to an agreement on what those core principles are but we're so afraid that somebody's going to be like, you know what? I don't like that. I'm out. Mm-hmm. And we think, well, we have to adapt so that we can keep them here. Well, listen, if you but, tell people the truth, some people are going to walk away. But so, I Roger, to, Roger, you're oh, going to come to church next week if I tell you the earth's not flat, right? Yeah, I don't care if you think the earth's <laughs> but I, I gotta add flat something or here. round or whatever. Just to, because 
the, the clock I've never on. been to outer space of you but we've got to draw, but we've got to we've got to agree upon a core principle is that a core principle well does it make a difference the question now right well let me let me just complicate matters <laughs> don't forget our friend apostle paul in one place and i where he wrote this i'm not i it escapes me at one point he says eating food uh, don't don't eat food sacrifice to idols in other place, he does say it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like we look at double speak, but I think he's like, okay, what do they need in this context? Mm-hmm. Yes, right there, it's a unique setting, and we do this all the time when we look at you know the story of Anesimus, you know, and go back to you know go back to your master. But you're, but you're not accusing Paul of situational ethics. <laughs> situational theology? No, I don't know. We're not open that door. But the point is, are you trying? <laughs> um, but it's like we have to say this is not a salvific issue, like right. you said before. But right? what? But again, the question is: we 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 always use that terminology, right? This isn't a salvation issue. The Earth being flat or round right. is not a salvation Sorry. issue. Okay. What is? There we go. Those are the hard questions that we have to answer. And, yeah, and and it, dare I say it, on some level, I think that we we not only have we gotten it wrong, mm-hmm. but I also think we've turned it into an idol. Ooh, Certain like, things we've turned into an idol. Like by truths being an idol. Well, yes. Yep. Yep. Okay, like okay, so it's not a salvation issue, but it's such an idol that it's turned into one. You know, and I'm going to shut my mouth right there. No, this is good, and I just realized, hey, I can I can lean back in my chair. And well, you hold could the have mic. been doing that the whole time if you would have <laughs> no, used this boom. No, but now, <laughs> but listen, guys, um, I yes, and this is part of our human nature is to define. What I am and what you're, what what is it? You know, putting people in categories, and and oh my, we're going to go down a rabbit hole. Well, I mean, no, it's okay though. It's a rabbit hole. We need to go down. This is an old philosophical problem: the relationship between the whole and the parts. So, but the Bible explains itself. Okay, we and I've said this like two or three times already. Bible says itself or explains itself, and what is the what is the simplistic? answer to that and i understand that it drives people crazy because they don't like to hear it believe on jesus christ and him crucified mm-hmm. yeah right love christ with all your heart soul and mind and your neighbor is yourself yeah done yeah there we go and it and that's you know we have even talked about music and you know like oh well that's gonna hurt your soul if you listen to that band and, and, you know, we talk, we talk about food, sort of Adventism can be obsessed about food, but the music war, that's kind of, kind of fade of the background. But you remember back in the day about backward masking oh, yes. and all that stuff. Yeah. And well, this is the devil and et cetera, et cetera. And, and I think people meant well, uh, but again, it's how do we interpret truth? How do we interpret the situation is really a core here. And, and uh, I think Paul is saying, look, at the end of the day, hey, imitate God in not some things you do, but he says in everything you do, 
because you are his dear children. And it's a powerful sentence. A, we talked about we're children, we're all children, not young adults, not you know wise men and women with filled with knowledge. We're all children, but we're his children. And that's, that's another key word. Who do we belong to? Mm-hmm. We are his children. So with that, my friends, an hour has zipped by. I thank you for allowing, we thank you for allowing us to be a part of your lives. We hope that you feel a connection with us. Again, send us an email, office at wercc.net, or come by and see us. Give us a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And if we're if we're in error, we we honestly ask for your input. Oh, and you know what we've never said on here that every podcast says. What's that? Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Like and there subscribe we go. because you actually, when you like and subscribe on these apps like Spotify and Apple, you actually uh, it, it changes the way the algorithm deals with a particular podcast. So if we get, I didn't know that. Yeah. So if oh. you, if you like and subscribe. Um, it, in, it, it over time will increase the amount of times that this appears to people. Interesting. Uh, through like search engines, search engines and things like that. So thank you for sharing that. Learn something new today. Like and subscribe. Like and subscribe. Actually, you know what else? I'll say it on the air because then that'll put pressure on us. Maybe we need to find a way to create a specific email address for the podcast. Podcast at wercc.net or something like that. We'll talk with Ed about that. Yeah. Yep. But listen, an hour is zipped by. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you again for the book of Ephesians. And Lord, the, the challenge is ever ahead of us because you have, through the Apostle Paul, told us to imitate God. Um, Lord, may we not foster anger. May we say things that are only there being said to uplift others. And uh, we pray that we will have the, the kindness and the mercy, the patience that we need to deal with others and, of course, even to deal with ourselves. Lord, be with us as we uh, sign off here. We pray that you would bless the listeners for the remainder of this day, this week, this year. And again, we pray that the truths of Ephesians will really find a permanent home in our hearts. In the saving name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us and may God indeed richly bless you. If you are looking for a community, have some questions about the discussion, or would like to participate in a live Sabbath school class, please join us every Saturday at 10 a.m. for Sabbath school and 1115 for our worship service at 337 Main Street, South Lancaster, Massachusetts. This has been a production by the College Church's Communication slash Media Ministry. If you were blessed by this podcast, please like, follow, and subscribe. Join us next week for another lesson and let us all remember to love more, grow more, and serve more.